This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. In preparing this talk, I, I found it very interesting because Egypt is mentioned many, many times in the scriptures um, and always in connection with God's chosen people, Israel. If you just reflect for a second before we consider Egypt specifically, think about just places in general. But what makes a place special to you? What makes a place special? I think is its association with events and people. I mean, the creation is a wonderful thing and you can visit places, but if you didn't really know anybody there, it's just another place. And, and, and yet the creation would be wonderful to look at and we admire that and we praise God for his creation of the different places. But places take on a particular significance when you know somebody that lives there or there's family there or something happened there of significance to you and your life. And of course, that's the same in the scriptures because places in the scriptures they take on a specific and a very particular significance because of what's happened there and because of the people that were there at a particular time. So we can bear that in mind as we proceed. Will you please turn with me to the book of Genesis and chapter 13 because I think this is probably the first occasion which Egypt is referred to. Genesis 13, this is the occasion, if we glance back at the beginning of the chapter, when uh, verse 1, Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, Sarah, and, and all that he had, and Lot, who was his nephew, with him. And what the, the account tells us was that they'd got a lot of substance between them, Abraham and, and Lot, and they, they parted ways. And so we, we come down to verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord. So that sort of takes us back to the beginning, you know, God's creation in the Garden of Eden. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. So it would appear then from this reference that Egypt was a lovely place to be. Like the garden of the Lord. Egypt was like the garden of the Lord. It was a fertile place. And, and Lot was looking down on the river um, Jordan and, and the plain there and thinking this is a good place to be. It's good for cattle. It's good to, a good place to be. Um, and so he chose the valley. And so we have a, a reference. That's one of our early references to, to Egypt. So, this isn't going to be a history lesson. The point of this afternoon is not it. But I'm just going to give you a, a couple of little facts from Wikipedia about Egypt. Just to give us a little bit of context. Um, Wiki says this. A unified kingdom was founded in 3150 BC by King Menas. Uh, leading to a series of dynasties that ruled Egypt for the next three millennia. Egyptian culture flourished during this long period and remained distinctively Egyptian in its religion, arts, language 
and customs. So it was, a, it was a great power in the earth and certainly um, as we read of the accounts and the different th- uh, things that happened in the book of Genesis, then Egypt was the main power of the day. It was like a world, to the then known world, a worldwide power. So let's move on please to the end of Genesis because what had happened, and there'd been a famine in the the land of Canaan and Jacob had taken his family down into Egypt where Joseph was we haven't got time to consider that but God by his hand of providence had made sure that Joseph had gone down got sold down into Egypt and he had made provision and in the, the good years where there was plenty of grain he had laid up store so that all those who had had the hardship of the famine around, they came down to Egypt to, to buy grain off Joseph. Um, and so all, it ended up that all Joseph's family, his father Jacob and all his brothers, came down and, and dwelt in Egypt at this time. And so I'd like to pick up this account at the, uh, in, in chapter 50 of Genesis. We're going to read verse 21 to 26. So Jacob has, has, has died and Joseph speaks to his brothers who were very worried about how Joseph might treat them after um, Jacob had died. And so Joseph says to them, Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived an hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And this is really important, the next part. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And that's how the book of Genesis concludes. But you see, although they'd got it as good as it was going to be, because Joseph was the second ruler next to Uh, Pharaoh in the land of Egypt and he was providing for his brethren and and all their families and their young ones so life was as comfortable as it was going to get but you know that wasn't really what Joseph was after there was something else in Joseph's mind wasn't there Egypt was a wonderful place as far as it went Um, but there was something more Joseph wanted something special here because in that verse 24 he refers us back to earlier parts of Genesis where God made these wonderful promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and Joseph evidently had these same promises in his mind and in his heart and therefore he says and God will surely visit you in that verse 24 and bring you out of this land to the land which he promised to the fathers of old and so he says I don't want to stay in Egypt he says, no, God has provided for us in Egypt. He says, but this isn't really where we're going. He says, there's something better for us. He says, he's going to visit you and take Israel out of Egypt. 
to the land that he promised. And so straight away in these early chapters of, of the Bible then, we have a situation of Egypt on the one hand, which I suggest to you as we proceed, that becomes a sort of a, a figure of the world at large. Um, and then on the other hand, we have the promised land. The land which God will give to the fathers of old and to all those who are in Christ and the seed, which I know gets dealt with on, on other occasions from this platform. So if we turn over then, we come to the, the book of Exodus and we'll trace this story a little bit more because now the, the nation of Israel that is in Egypt starts to multiply. Um, chapter 1 of Exodus, verse 8 now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. So he wasn't familiar with all the same people and situations that had led to the present situation. He didn't know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it comes to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. So they basically, they put them to task, didn't they? They became bond servants in Egypt and made them, if we look at verse 13, the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field all their service wherein they made them to serve was with rigour and so the account develops this situation where Israel became bond servants and it was not a happy situation at all and they suffered greatly as a nation because of this fear um, that Egypt had of them multiplying and then joining their enemy and overcoming the Egyptians themselves so this says what's the solution we will make this people of Israel so, so instead of being guests in the land as they were originally they were, they were made bond servants so like I say it suggests that we have um, Egypt is a figure of the world and now we have this idea associated with Egypt of bondage and of hard labour and of all the, the catastrophes and the death that ensued as a result um, of, of that situation come down to um, verse 16 it got even worse you see and he said Pharaoh to um, the Hebrew midwives he said in verse 16 when ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools if it be a son then ye shall kill him but if it be a daughter then she shall live and so this was the command of, of Pharaoh and the, the midwives did not fully follow that um, nevertheless that was his command and a terrible situation for them to be in coming to chapter 2 and we can see the anguish um, in the people of Israel at this time. Chapter 2 and reading verse 23 to 25, just at the end of that second chapter. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. 
and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. You see how we, we keep constantly being taken back to God remembering his covenant with Abraham. Just like Joseph said at the end of Genesis, God will surely visit you and take you to that promised land. And so here was that time coming about when it was right for God to deliver his people, to redeem his people from this land of bondage that they'd found them, themselves in. So this was part of God's plan, wasn't it? He knew that they were going to be there. It was actually prophesied that they would be there for this number of years. Um, so it was God's plan to deliver his people by Moses. Moses was their saviour. God appointed Moses as their saviour to deliver them out of Egypt. Uh, in chapter 3, let's have a little look at verse 10. We haven't got time to read all the verses in front, but this is concerning Moses there. It says, Come now therefore, and I will send thee, says God, unto Pharaoh. So he's speaking to Moses, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So we're left in no doubt that Israel are God's people, um, and that he would be bring uh, to fruition his word that he would cause them to inherit the, the promised land. Just come through to, um, in that same chapter, verse 21, to, um, yeah, verse 21, towards the end of that chapter there. I think I'm in the right place there. No, sorry, chapter, chapter 4. Just come through to chapter 4, that was what I wanted. And, and verse 22 and 23. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, so he's telling Moses what to say to Pharaoh, and thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me, and if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And so there comes the time then, of the plagues because Pharaoh as we read the account was not going to let the people of Israel go and then we have uh, an account of the ten plagues that happened and were God's judgments against this idolatrous Egypt Egypt is renowned for its idolatry as well as the oppression that it caused on God's people who he here describes as his firstborn son and that is also significant as hopefully we'll see a little bit later on so let's just turn a few pages um, there's all these different plays like we say ten different plays I'd like you to come through to chapter 9 of Exodus and we can see let's pick it up from about verse 14 First of all, it says, Therefore I will at this time, says God, send all my plagues upon thine heart, um, Pharaoh's heart, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. You see, there was a competition now, wasn't there? Because God was wanting Egypt to know 
that he was God. They had all these other gods that they worshipped, the sun god, and all the names, you can look them all up. Um, they had a plethora of gods, and they worshipped all these idols. And, and Israel was actually influenced by this. But here, God is saying, I'm going to let you know that there is a real God. And, and that's why he sent all these plagues. And time and time again, as you read the account of these plagues in these few chapters of Exodus, God says words similar to what we've just read there in verse 14. That thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. Look at verse 16. And in very deed, for this cause have I raised thee up, Pharaoh, raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. So this is all about God becoming known in the world and throughout Egypt. That everybody would know that he is the real living God, unlike all the idols that Egypt uh, worshipped. This becomes even more evident as we proceed. Come down to verse 29 of the, the same chapter. And Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know how that the earth is the Lord's. And then if you come through next to chapter 12 of Exodus... So at this stage, what we've got there is that we've got the, uh, the threat, first of all, the warning, that God was actually going to slay the, the firstborn of all Egyptians. Um, verse 3 of chapter 11 first, perhaps. And the Lord gave the people favour in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people because of all the previous plagues that had taken place but Pharaoh still had his heart hardened and he wasn't going to let Israel go and so the Lord came to this tenth plague where he was going to slay all the firstborn so in chapter 12 um, just read verse 12 of that 12th chapter God says for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now, I know I've just jumped into that verse. We're going to consider a little bit more about this, the context of this chapter and the Passover feast in a minute or two. But the point that I would like to underline there is that God is saying, I will execute judgment upon the gods of of Egypt, And that's a really important point because, like we say, on the one hand we have Egypt and on the other hand we have the, the promised land. And so the, the gods of this world need to be judged by Almighty God. And he was saying he's going to slay the firstborn of Egypt to drive this point home. A terrible situation, but Pharaoh refused to let the people go. There's some other references um, that sort of stress that point. Um, perhaps if we go through just one more of those, if you come through to chapter 18 of Exodus and read verse 9 to 11, when Israel will come out of Egypt after Pharaoh had finally uh, let the people go, Moses 
comes to his father-in-law Jethro in chapter 18 and we'll read verse 9 uh, to 11. Jethro comments on the situation and how God has brought his people out of Egypt. It says, and Jethro in verse 9 rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly he was above them. Because the Egyptian gods, they made them responsible for different things, didn't they? Um, like you had the, the god of the Nile, you had different gods for different things. And so we had the flies and the frogs. And you can actually, if you look at all the different Egyptian gods, sometimes you compare them off. You can see which god, almighty god, is judging by bringing a particular plague about and so Jethro remarks about this he says in the thing that they dealt proudly with almighty God the God of Israel was above them uh, because of course the Egyptian gods were nothing they weren't real were they they were just the imaginations of the men and so God judges uh, Egypt through the plagues and of course what was bad news for Egypt and God's judgments upon them was good news for Israel wasn't it because God was fighting on their behalf um, come back to verse 10 so although the Egyptians were sorry chapter 10 of Exodus the Egyptians were we might say having to learn the hard way that God was the God of Israel and that he was the powerful one and that he actually had real power to do these things and bring these plagues and judgments upon them Israel as they viewed these things they would be confirmed in their trust of the God who was going to deliver them and so we read here in, in Exodus 10 and, and verse 2 and we'll read verse 1 and 2 because it helps us get the context and the Lord said to Moses go in unto Pharaoh for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I might show these my signs before him and that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them that ye may know how that I am the Lord so in a way it's the same message isn't it that the Israelites might know also that God is the God of the living and that he is the creator of heavens and earth and that he has the strength and power to deliver the Egyptians were learning it the hard way and Israel was looking on and saying this is our God and he is going to deliver us and God says that you are witnessing these things so that you can tell it to the next generation and that you will tell your son of everything that God has done on your behalf and then they will tell the next generation and that's what God is saying and there, again we haven't got time but there are other references that indicate that this is what God wanted them to do because this was such a momentous occasion in the, the birth of the nation of Israel that they came out of this land of bondage and that they were delivered by the almighty God the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob who promised to give them this uh, land flowing with milk and honey 
So let's just come back to that chapter 12 because as we go on, I think we will appreciate that all these things have a, a larger counterpart. You know, there's a literal Egypt and there's a literal Israel being delivered from a literal bondage. But at the same time, these things seem to also speak of the symbolical. They, they also speak of Egypt as the world and how that the world is full of sin and that sin keeps us in bondage and that we have a need as human beings to be delivered from this sin. And, and so that's the theme that I hope to, as we just over the next few minutes, explore. And, and we have this um, need of deliverance illustrated to us in the Passover feast in Exodus 12. Let's just briefly consider a few verses from there. Exodus 12, let's read verse 5 to 8. Before, you know, God has warned the Egyptians that he was going to slay their firstborn. And then before that actually happens, we have these instructions to Israel about what they would do at this particular time when God was going to slay the Egyptians on their behalf. Um, verse 5 to 8. They had to choose a lamb from their flock. It says, your lamb, verse 5, shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it and they shall eat the flesh in that night roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it and then there's several more instructions in the manner uh, that they had to conduct themselves uh, during this Passover feast this Passover feast became a, a national feast for Israel and it was a testament it was intended to be a testament to their experiences in Egypt um, and their deliverance from the land of bondage they, they had to obey they had to choose this land they had to kill the land they had to eat the land they had to put the blood on the, the doorposts and on the lintel all this entailed obedience which showed that they trusted and that they had faith in the almighty God of Israel to deliver them from the Egyptians so their obedience at observing the Passover ensured on this occasion that the angel of death did not destroy them along with the Egyptians when God was going to slay the firstborn of all the Egyptians. Just come down that same chapter, let's just come down to verse 42, which underlines the significance of this delivery from Egypt for all the generations that were to come. Verse 42 of chapter 12. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them up out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. So it became a very, very important occasion. And it still is. Um, so the, the language picks up on this event. So what I'd like to do now is to develop 
the symbolical side of this by coming to the New Testament and seeing what the Apostle Paul has to say about this a little bit. And we can compare the language in the New Testament. If you come through to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, first of all, please, and and chapter 5. One Corinthians in chapter five in verse seven, where we read there, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So references like this, they they're asking us to make a connection in our mind between the language of the Old Testament where we've just been reading about the Passover and how that that foreshadows and tells us about the work and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ because Paul here describes the Lord Jesus Christ as our Passover for all those people that is who, who believe in the Lord, who believe in the gospel message, and who become obedient to its requirements and, and get themselves baptised when they believe and they repent. All these things. But Christ is described as our Passover. So we are invited to make the connection. Why was the Passover there? It was so that the people wouldn't be killed along with the Egyptians. The world... Egypt was the main power of the world at the time, was being absolutely destroyed by God Almighty. And we are told elsewhere that the fashion of this world will pass away. God's judgments will come upon this world when he sends Jesus back to bring his judgments upon the world and establish his wonderful kingdom upon the earth. But you see, if our focus now is in Christ, our Passover, Jesus Christ becomes the one through whom we can have deliverance. We can have freedom from that bondage that is in what we call spiritual Egypt, the world. Because if we stay in the world and we don't believe in Christ, then we will just surely die as much as those people that were slain by God in Egypt all that time ago. Come to the Gospel of John, please, just to establish this point just a little bit more. All these points could be um, strengthened by going to more references. But if we come to the first chapter of the Gospel of John, and let's read verse 29, for example, 28 and 29. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John, that's John the Baptist, was baptizing. Verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You see how again we're being invited to put these ideas together and associate the language from the Passover and the Lamb that they had to slay. It was a type. It was a foreshadowing of the work and the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus made so that he could take away as it says here the sin of the world and all those people who would repent and associate themselves um, with the Lord Jesus in the appropriate way so let's turn to the book of Romans next um, and that chapter 6 
it, it might be uh, that when we had that read as an introductory reading, you're thinking, hmm, what's that going to be to do with Egypt? But I'm hoping that perhaps we'll be able to see the, the thrust of the, the suggestions that I'm making here now, how that this Egyptian, this place of Egypt, becomes a very, very important type uh, all the way through the scriptures and how that it stands for the bondage and the, the world which is at enmity with God, we're told in the scriptures, and how that the Lord Jesus Christ delivers us from these things. So in this Romans uh, chapter 6, let's just um, read verse 17 and 18, shall we? Paul says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Now he is talking to those who are already believers. We have to bear that in mind. He's already talking to those who had turned, had repented, and believed that Jesus was their saviour. Verse 17 again. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Notice the language, you see. He didn't say that you're just troubled by sin on occasions. He said you were the servants of sin. And, and in some translations, you might have a, a, a different translation. It says bond servants. Slaves. Slaves. That's right. And that's what the original word actually means. Bond servants or slaves. So it's taken us back again, isn't it? It's taken us back to the days of Egypt when Israel were bond servants and slaves to the Egyptians. And it goes on, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Just like Israel had to follow the instructions and obey the commands of Almighty God with regard to keeping the Passover feast so that the angel of death passed over them and didn't slay the firstborn of the nation of Israel. Verse 18, being then made free from sin... Ye became servants, or the same word, bond servants or slaves, of righteousness. So there's a great change that has taken place from one, on the one hand, being servants of sin, which is our natural state when we're born in Adam and we grow up in the world. We are naturally the servants of sin. It's what comes naturally. And until we obey the, gospel, the call of the gospel message, that is our condition. And we are sentenced to death if that remains the state of affairs. But if we obey the call of the gospel, then we become the servants or slaves of righteousness, following the perfect example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Note the language again. It's freedom, isn't it? Freedom from the law of sin and death. The curse that came upon mankind right in the early chapters of Genesis, which said that we will turn back to the dust. Unless we turn to God for help. Because he and the Lord Jesus Christ who he has provided is the only way that we are to be saved by God's grace. Turn with me please to um, the Gospel of John again. And this time chapter 8. Where Jesus has one of these wonderful conversations with um, the elders of his day. And they didn't understand some of the things that Jesus was saying. That's um, John chapter 8, and I'd like to read verse 31 through to verse 36. And you'll see how it relates to the same subject that we've been developing here. These thoughts of bondage, these thoughts of freedom, and how that Christ is able to deliver us. Verse 31, then, Jesus, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then 
are ye my disciples indeed and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free yeah, very important word free from sin and death verse 33 and they answered him we be Abraham's seed they were his natural descendants weren't they we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man how sayest thou ye shall be made free well that was a strange thing for them to say to Jesus wasn't it because they were of Abraham's seed yes they were Israelites how could they possibly say we were never in bondage to any man well first of all they'd been in bondage in Egypt as a nation so they had been in bondage as a nation second of all they'd also been taken captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar and taken into captivity for 70 years then so they had been in bondage and captivity um, in Babylon and th their actual current situation at this time was they were subservient to the Romans because the Romans ruled the land at the time so how they could possibly say to the Lord Jesus we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man doesn't quite ring true does it but look what Jesus says in verse 34 Jesus answered them verily verily or truly truly I say to you whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin so he's talking in this servant language again isn't he whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin and the servant abideth not in the house forever but the son abideth ever if the son therefore shall make you free ye shall be free indeed and so we have that same subject developed there that the freedom that is made available through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ I'd like to just quickly mention just one more strand to do with our exploration of this um, Bible place Egypt I'd like you to come to back to Deuteronomy for a minute please because all these things have become types they've all been literal in the first place and a, a, a very large part of the historical account of what actually happened to the nation of Israel early on but we've seen how that they all acquire a new relevance to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ as well so in Deuteronomy in chapter 18 and these words regard Moses who was that prophet who obviously God sent to his people in Egypt and brought the plagues upon the Egyptians and delivered his people from that house of bondage so in, in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy let's read verse 15 first the Lord thy God we're told will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee or out of the nation of thy brethren like unto me like unto Moses unto him ye shall hearken come down to verse 18 I will raise them up says God I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee he says to Moses there and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him now these words are actually applied to the Lord Jesus Christ so that we're not left in any doubt who this prophet was going to be so again the Bible invites us to say yes these things actually happened then but they are talking also about a greater deliverance that would come through the Lord Jesus Christ which as we've seen from Paul is to do with deliverance from sin 
So if you come with me to uh, back into, I'll have you jumping around here a little bit, into the book of Acts and chapter 3. Acts and chapter 3. And we here read the, the words of the Apostle Peter. We're going to read from verse 20, I think. Acts chapter 3, verse 20. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution. So it's talking about Jesus is going to come back again to the earth. Uh, Times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began and look at verse 22 it takes us back to the words we've just been reading from Deuteronomy for Moses truly said unto the fathers a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you so Peter is applying the words that we've read in Deuteronomy to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we had time, we would read the rest of the chapter there where Peter is preaching about the the one that they denied. If you just glance at verse 14, he denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted. He's talking about the Lord Jesus, verse 15, how that the Jews and the Romans killed the Prince of Life whom God hath raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses so the whole context is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ so the one that God has raised up like unto Moses is his own son the Lord Jesus Christ so I hope that's been a helpful um, introduction to Bible place of Egypt and how that yes there are all these literal elements but that they all speak of this greater deliverance of how that we can have salvation through the the Passover, our Passover, the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life so that all those who believe in him and confess their sins and repent and obey and live their lives like he's asked them to live, then they can be given the the anti-typical promised land, that that land that flows with milk and honey, the promised land that they will share with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, because this is what will happen when he comes back to the earth. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk